If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 2. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. And as I've said the last couple of weeks, it's hard to believe that we're already in 2023. I mean, not too long ago, 2020 was like, that was like sci-fi date. And here we are, 2023. It seems like the last couple of years have definitely been a blur. Um, and, and, and every year, whether it's been a blur or whether it seems to have crawled by and it seems like it's going faster each year, at least for me, uh, I think it's always helpful to look back at where we've been, but especially i like us to look forward to where we might be headed. And now, of course, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, so I don't know what's coming in 2023, uh, but I do think there are some things the Bible tells us. In fact, I know there are some things the Bible tells us and teaches us that we can hold on to and strive to live out in 2023. These are not new things. These are, are, um, these are not, uh, this is not new information to you, but these are things that we need to be living out each and every day. And as we, as we turn into a new year, I think that's kind of a natural time to, to, to start again. It's a natural time to hit the redo button, if you will. And where we pick up the text today, Paul has been writing to the Christians in the city of Philippi, and he's been encouraging them. He's, he's, he's written to them to have unity. He's talked about having humility and so forth. And as we begin reading this last section of his letter, Paul is going to give us some instructions in bullet point form. He doesn't give a lot of explanation. He doesn't uh, expand on these things. He just, he just gives us a short, brief, pithy command. He says, do this. And then he goes on to the next thing. Sometimes they're related, sometimes they're not. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at four different lessons we can draw from this, and we're going to get straight out of the text. So if you're able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. Uh, We'll pick up in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, I uh, I urge Yodia and I urge Suntuke to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, In Christ Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as I said before, there are four different lessons, four different ways that we ought to live in 2023. I want to draw from this text. The first is harmoniously. We need to live harmoniously in 2023. Now, if you look at verse 2, Paul Paul begins by calling out two women in the church. And understand, this is a letter that was read to the church as a whole. So you can imagine... I mean, if, if I stood up here and said, well, I've, I have this letter from the association, and, and, he, and, and the associational director calls two of you out by name, that's going to be kind of uncomfortable, right? It's, it's going to be shining a light right on you. And so that's what is happening. Paul is calling these two women to live at harmony with one another. We don't know anything about these two women other than what we see in the text, but I think there are some things we can surmise as we look at, at the Bible as a whole. Now, if you look back at Acts chapter 16, you don't have to do that, but I'm just referencing it. So if you want to look back some other time, in Acts chapter 16, Paul is on a missionary journey. And in the first part of chapter 16, he picks up a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy later goes on to become the Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus, that Paul writes First and Second Timothy to. So he picks up Timothy, 
he is a disciple of, of Jesus. He begins to travel around with Paul. And as they're traveling along the way, they, at some point they pick up Luke. And in this journey, Paul has a, a dream. He has a vision of a man in Macedonia calling him to come on over. This is the Macedonian call. And so Paul interprets this to mean God wants him to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. And so he goes over to Macedonia, and Macedonia is a region, okay? It's not a city. So the, the, the region of Macedonia, one of the cities in Macedonia is Philippi. That's where they end up. That's where they land. So they go to Philippi, and they're there for a while. And Paul, on some Sabbath day, decides to go to the riverside because he thinks there's going to be a place of prayer there. And while he, he goes there, and while he's there, he finds a bunch of women who have gathered there to worship and pray, one of them was a lady by the name of Lydia. You remember she was Lydia of Thyatira, seller of purple fabrics and so forth. She hears the gospel from Paul, gets saved, she and her household, and from there the, a church in Macedonia springs up. Okay, so, so it's likely that since these women were the first people in that area to hear the gospel, the first people to respond to the gospel, it's, I think, probable that they had some influence in the church, in that early church. And so it's possible, if not probable, that these women that are referenced here have some position of leadership, some position of, uh, of notoriety. This is a visible disruption. This is, the, these people are squabbling, and it's getting everybody's attention. And notice what he says in the text. He calls them to be of the same mind. Be of the same mind. Now, that's what the word harmony means here. It means to live in unity. It means that they need to get along with one another. It doesn't mean that, that they have to give up their own opinions. They don't have to be cookie cutters of one another, but it means they need to get along. And that's a, that's a message that some churches need to have loud and clear. Why won't you all just get along? But Paul says, you two need to get along. And notice Paul, what he does not say. He does not rebuke either of them. He doesn't say, one of you is holding to a wrong doctrine. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, this person's right, this person's wrong. In all likelihood, this was a minor thing that caused the squabble. It's not a major doctrinal thing. It's, it's, a, it's a, probably a small matter. And haven't you ever noticed that, that many times the things that cause the most friction in our relationships, whether it be at church or in our, our marriage, at, at work, whatever it is, many times the thing that causes the most trouble are trifling matters. Haven't you ever noticed that? You know, your, your husband, your wife, your significant other, uh, they, they, they do something that really ticks you off and, and after you cool down, you see, it's not really that big a deal. Half of it may be your fault because you were, you were kind of tired. You interpreted it wrong. D- haven't you ever noticed sometimes we get our nose out of joint? Well, the preacher didn't even shake my hand. I mean, so-and-so didn't even wave at me when I saw him on the road. We get mad because somebody was curt towards us. We think somebody should do X and, or we think we should do X and somebody else thinks we should do Y. And, and we get mad about it. We... We, 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 we want to have our opinions, but we don't want them to have their opinions. Or if we want them to have an opinion, we want it to be our opinion. We fight, we feud. Have you ever had done this? Have you ever had a conversation in your mind with somebody? And then you got mad at that person for what they said in your head? Isn't that dumb? But that's what we do. Or maybe we'll see somebody talking, and we're already, we already got our nose out of joint about something, and we see them talking, and we just know that they're talking about us. And we just know they're talking about whatever situation it is. And we get mad. We get all worked up about it. And, and, and I think the, the message here is we ought not be that way. That's dumb. And look at what Paul says. Look at how he describes in verse 3. They, they had struggled with him in the cause of the gospel. 
at the end of verse 3, their names were in the book of life. These are true, legitimate Christians. These are, not un- these are not non-believers who are fighting. These are Christians. They're not nominal Christians who only have their name on the church roll. These are Christians who are in church. They are active. They are serving. They are working with the Apostle Paul. And listen, even in that situation, people can still people are still human. People still have feet of clay. And, and, and we need to get along with one another. And when you and I, when Christians, act like these ladies, it harms the cause of Christ. Unbelievers hear about it. Unbelievers know what happens in churches. It gives the devil ammunition to tear down the name of Christ in his church. It hinders the work of the church because, guess what? People are stressed out. They're taking sides with people who are fighting. And pretty soon, the only thing that you're talking about, the only thing you're thinking about is the feuding that's going on. And you're not thinking about the work of the church, which is to disciple the nations. Now, I'm thankful we don't have that in this church. But it's not always been that way. We have had it before. And it's awful. We have a sweet fellowship and we have to strive to live in harmony with one another. The first, the, that, that's the first thing. We need to live harmoniously. Second, we need to live rejoicingly. Look at verse 4. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again because it's in the text. When a biblical writer wants to emphasize something, they didn't put it in bold-faced type in their manuscripts because they didn't type them. They hand-wrote them. And, and they didn't underline them. They didn't italicize things. If they wanted to emphasize something, if they wanted to drive a point home, one of the most common ways they would accomplish that is they would use repetition. They would repeat a word or an idea to drive home. You need to pay attention to this. Now, in, in one verse, two times... Paul says the same thing. You think maybe he's trying to wave a flag and say, hey, pay attention. This is an important word. This is an important phrase. This is an idea you need to grab hold of. He says to rejoice. Now, what does it mean to rejoice? Well, today to rejoice has kind of the connotation of celebrating. And he's not saying we have to have on a, a party hat and a little one of those, you know, we don't have to walk around with one of those in our mouth all the time. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, in the original language, it has more the idea of being joyful, as someone has termed it, of being calmly cheerful. And notice what he says. Notice the whole phrase in verse 4. Look again. He says, rejoice, not in circumstances. He doesn't say rejoice if your political candidate or party is in office. He doesn't say rejoice if you can afford to buy eggs at the store. He says rejoice, not in circumstances. Why? Because circumstances change. They're undependable. He says instead, rejoice in the Lord. Now, all those other things I mentioned may be reasons to be happy, but life doesn't just give us good and doesn't just give us bad. Right? Now, you may have a really good day, but you may have a really bad day, and many times, even on those really good and really bad days, it's not all one thing or the other. It's usually all mixed up. You get a lot of good, a lot of bad. And, and, and we can't just base our, our happiness, our, our joy, on our circumstances. He doesn't say rejoice in those things. He says rejoice in the Lord. He is the one that's unchanging. He is the one that gives us our, our daily bread. He is the one whose mercies never cease. He is the one who, who, who is dependable. He is the one who is a rock of salvation and defense. He is the one who is a strong tower. We just sing about it and, and the righteous run into and they are saved. 
Now, I don't know what this year's going to hold for any of us. No doubt it's going to have a lot of good. There are probably going to be friends and family that, that welcome little babies into the world. There, there, there may be a reconciliation among families. There are certainly going to be answered prayers. But listen, there are also, there's also going to be some bad. We're going to lose friends and loved ones this year. There, there are going to be difficulties in our country and in our family and in our jobs. And in the midst of all those things, whether it's the good stuff or the bad stuff, Paul says rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Not in circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. Third, in 2023, he says that we should live, verse 5, moderately. Moderately. Look at verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, having a joyful heart will likely come out in the way that you respond to people. Having a gentle spirit will always come out in the way you respond to people. It will be known to all men. Now, what is a gentle spirit? Well, the word translated as gentle has the idea of, of... Control under provocation. It has the idea of, of, of forbearing, of, of yielding. Uh, it means keeping yourself under control even when bad stuff happens. It means you don't lash out when, when somebody wrongs you, when somebody makes you mad. It, it, it means that, that you exercise patience. You have, it has the idea of, of mildness. It means you stand ready to forgive. It means that you have your passions in check. You're in control of them. They're not in control of you. Now, why should we do this? We'll look at the end of verse uh, verse 5. The Lord is at hand. He is is near. He is not only with us daily, but one day He will return. And on that day, you and I are going to stand before God. We will give an account for everything that we've done, every idle word that has been spoken, every attitude that we've had, and He will reward our faithfulness. But haven't you ever had times when just in a, a, a human environment, you do something really stupid. And you say some things that you never would have said otherwise, but you just got mad and, you, boy, you had you know, diarrhea of the mouth. And it just, you just said all kinds of things you wish you could take back, and you can't. And you look back at it, and you're ashamed. You're ashamed that somebody's heard that. You're ashamed for the example you set for your kids, your grandkids. Think how much more it is, will, will be when you stand before Jesus and answer for that. And that's the idea here. He says, God is, God is aware of what's, what's happening. He is aware of your attitudes. He's aware of your words. Therefore, live moderately. Control yourself. And finally, number four, in verse, uh, in, in verse seven, sorry, verses six and seven, we should live peacefully. Peacefully. Now, I'm not talking about just living at peace with one another. We already talked about that. We should do that. That's living harmoniously. But I mean we need to live lives that are anxiety-free and full of peace. That's what peaceful means, full of peace. Look at verse 6. It says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, we, we're, we're familiar with that, that verse in the teaching. But Paul says there are two competing ways of living. If you notice the contrast he makes, there's the way of anxiety and the way of prayer. That's the contrast that he makes. There's the way of anxiety and the way of prayer. Somebody as well said, if you pray, why worry? And what's the rest? If you worry, why pray? That's the same message Jesus gave back in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about tomorrow. 
Don't worry about your life, what you're going to put on, what you're going to eat. For God knows what you need before you need it. He'll give you all these things. If you, if, if you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, all these things be added unto you. And he says God knows about the, 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 the birds of the air. He knows about the grass of the field. And he takes care of them. He provides for them. So why are you worried about all these things? You can't add to your life. You can't make yourself taller or shorter. You can't do, you can't, can't do anything by worry. It doesn't accomplish anything good. And so Paul echoes this. He says, don't worry. Don't have anxiety. Now, he doesn't say, don't have concern over things. There's a difference between concern and care and worry. Worry is sinful. Concern is not. There are certain things we should be concerned about. We should be concerned that we're living to please God. We should be concerned that we're, that, that we're providing for our families. We should be concerned and care uh, uh, that, that we do our best to prepare for the future. But there's a difference between that and worry because worry at its root is a distrust of God. At its root, worry is a distrust that God is, is trustworthy, that He is good, and, and, and we don't trust His provision. And I think this, this one verse is one of the hardest things to do in Christianity. To live an anxiety-free life. Because we want the control. Ultimately, the reason for that is because we trust ourselves more than we trust God. That's why we want the control instead of letting Him have the control. We think that we know best. We think we know how things will turn out. We don't like the idea of trusting our future to somebody else, even if that somebody else is the Lord God Almighty. Even if that somebody else is the creator of the universe, who's omniscient, all-powerful. He knows everything. He can do anything He wants. But we think, you know what? I got this, God. Isn't that, isn't that foolish? But that's what we think. But that's the root of worry. Instead of putting the energy, that energy into worry, we need to put that energy into prayer. He says, be anxious for nothing. In contrast to that, instead, in everything, we need to pray. That means that nothing is too big or too small for God. Now, sometimes we don't want to bring the little stuff to God because we think, well, God has a lot going on. We've got the situation in the Middle East. We've got the, the price of gas. We've got, uh, we got you know, the White House. We've got the, the, the eggs. We've got the family situation. We got, and I, I know I mentioned eggs, but, man, this is ridiculous. But, but listen, we, have, we think we have, that God's got all this stuff. We don't want to add one more thing because it's a little piddly thing. And so we don't want to bring it to God, and so we don't pray about it. That's silly. How many times have you prayed because God would help you find your keys? That's a little thing, but it's a big thing to you, isn't it? I mean, you think about how, how, how all the stuff that's going on. But boy, when, when you can't find your keys, and you've got to get to that appointment, you've got to get to work, you got to pick up the kids, whatever it is. Boy, you, you start uttering some prayers. Now listen, that's a small thing. Sometimes we don't want to mention the little things in, in prayer when we have prayer requests because... We think everybody roll their eyes at us. Listen, God is nothing is too small for God, but nothing's too big for God either. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not going to pray about this because I'm not sure God's up to the task. Now, we never say that because we're good church folks. We're good Baptists. We won't say things like that, but that's really what we're feeling. That's why we don't pray about it. I'm not sure that God can handle this, or if he can't, if he can't do it on his own. I need to give him some help. But listen, Paul says, in all things... Big, small, in all things, bring it to God. Nothing's too small to be outside His concern. 
Jesus said the, bird, the birds of the sky, not one of them falls to the ground. That he doesn't know about. He has the very hairs of our head numbered. And nothing's too big for him to handle. But in everything, look at verse 6 again. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In other words, come to God in prayer and be specific. Be specific about your request. And let those requests be shaped by and enveloped in thanksgiving. We need to be thankful for what God's done in the past. We need to be thankful for His answer to prayer. We can be thankful that He's dependable. We can be thankful for His character, for His nature. We can be thankful that God calls us to bring our prayers and petitions to Him. He doesn't have to. He didn't have to. And He'd be perfectly just in not doing that. But He said, bring Him to me. And when you do that, look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace that God Himself gives. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. See, this is not the peace of the world that Paul is talking about. The peace of the world... It's the absence of conflict. When the world thinks about peace, it means that nothing bad's happening. Peace is not a minus. Peace is a plus. Peace is not the minus or the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. Peace is the presence of God in the storm with us. You remember the disciples were out on the boat. They had the troubles, but there was peace when Jesus showed up. And it's like that in our lives. We, we, we can get all worked up. We have all this bad stuff happening. But when the presence of God is there, we can have peace. Now, what is the peace? It's an inner calm. It doesn't mean that that God's going to make smooth sailing because you may have some hard times to go through. But it means that he'll be with you as you go through those times, regardless of the outward circumstance. And this is not humanly impossible because from the outside looking in, somebody can look at you and say, they have every reason to be all worked up. They have every reason to be distrustful. They have every reason to be anxious. It's humanly impossible because it doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And that's why it passes all understanding. And Paul says at the end of verse 8 that it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That, that, that word guard is a military term. He'll be on patrol. He will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now I don't know about you, but, but I need a little more peace uh, and, and a lot less anxiety this year. I need, I need to trust the Lord more because I, I still have a long ways to go. I, I don't know about you, but, but, but I need to, to work on, well, really all these things. Living a, a life that's full of peace. Living moderately. Having myself under control even when I'm provoked. Of living rejoicingly and harmoniously. All those things are important. They're they're all clear directions from Scripture. And again, this is not news to probably any of us, that God wants us to live like this. But rather than focus on all four, I just ask you, what is the one thing you need to focus on the most this year? Which one of these four is the thing you need to focus on the most this week? Which of these four things is the one thing you need to focus on the most today? Because it's easy, especially... Has anybody made a New Year's resolution and broken it already? You don't have to raise your hands. 
because what, what do we do? We have all these big plans, all these big dreams. Well, I'm going to have goals, or we may even write it down. And then, if listen, if somebody said that a dream without, let's see, a goal without a, a plan is just a dream or something to that effect. You can hear a sermon like this and you say, boy, those four things, that sounds good. That's what I need to do. Listen, you need to narrow your focus down to even just one thing. Focus on that. And don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. Focus on that today. You say, well, I've, I'll do that. What if I fail? Do it again. And just keep doing it. So which of those things is it? Is, is it casting your care upon Him because He cares for you? Therefore, you can cease worrying and being anxious. Is it keeping your passions under control? Not allowing your lust, your anger, your words, whatever it is, to get away from you? Is the thing that you need to focus on living with joy in the midst of life's trials? Life's difficult circumstances? Is it living at peace with one another? Maybe you're contentious. Maybe there's somebody that you need to reconcile with today. Maybe you, need to, maybe you need to call somebody up, even today, and say, Hey, can we meet for a cup of coffee? I just need to talk to you. I've got, I've got some stuff on my heart, and you just need to ask their forgiveness. Maybe you need to be reconciled to God today. I haven't talked about salvation, but listen. You may not have peace, the peace of God because you don't have peace with God. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. One is objective, one is subjective. You can have the peace... You can have peace with God. That happens when we get saved, when our sins are forgiven, when we're justified and made right with Him. And then we can have that subjective peace of God. We, we, can, we, we, we can be at peace with Him and we can be at peace with others. And the way, that, the way that we are made right with God is not by effort, it's not by coming to church, it's not by enduring bad preaching, it's not by any of those things. The way that you're made right with God is by repenting of your sin, by putting your faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And if you've never done that, do that today. Won't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, what is the one thing you need to focus on the most? This year, this month, this week, even today, even before you leave this church. Maybe there's somebody here that you need to get right with. Maybe even in the, the quiet of this time, you know that you've not kept yourself under control in some way and need to ask God for forgiveness for that. Maybe you're carrying around burdens that are too heavy for you to bear. And that's not something that Christ has called you to do. He said, he said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe the thing that you need to do is to get saved. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn to God in faith and trust Him to save you.
Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which is so clear and relevant to us. And God, I ask that uh, even now as we um, have this time of prayer, that you would speak to our hearts, search us and try us, and let us know if there be any wicked way in our hearts. And God, if there's somebody here who needs to, uh, need to, to turn their life over to Jesus, I pray that you'd help them to do that. And God, I pray that you'd help each of us as Christians to uh, live out these four things. But even, even beyond that, just take one of those and work on that in our own lives this year. In Jesus' name, amen.